Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. that we could be covering this morning. Here is what I always want you to be doing. As you're reading the headlines or you're hearing them, I want you to be saying to yourself, what's God's view of what's going on here? What is the God angle? Where is the um, biblical worldview reference? Or where is, uh, where is there evidence here of something being misunderstood, viewed upside down or inside out uh, from, a, from a gospel or a Christian worldview? And so those are some of the questions that I want us to be asking ourselves anytime we are hearing or reading the headlines of the day in order that we might apply our faith, apply the good news of the gospel, um, apply uh, a salve in some cases to what's going on in the world immediately around us. And so it might, it may or may not be uh, our first reaction. Sometimes our first reaction is, uh, is heat instead of light. And so I want us to be mindful of that. And I want us to pause and consider, like, let us reason together in the spirit of the scriptures. Let us reason together. Let us, uh, let us think through what is being said. Let us apply the mind of Christ. Uh, invite Christ to take every thought captive. Invite the Holy Spirit to bring to mind verses of scripture or characters or storylines or principles um, that we know to be true of God and his grace and his goodness, and how then do those apply to what we're talking about? So it might be what is happening at the U.S. southern border. You say to yourself, well, what is the mind of Christ on that matter? It might be, I don't know, new CDC guidelines for vaccinated people. Uh, you know, I, it could be just about, well, it can be anything. Every story that's out there um, has a thread that you and I as Christians can pull um, something where, you know, God wants to be in those conversations. And and who does God have standing there but you and I? And so how do we, as agents of his grace, ambassadors of his kingdom, how do we um, be honest, good, truthful, thoughtful representations, re- representing Christ in the world that God so loves? That's our challenge um, and that's also something that I think we have the ability to cultivate. And we do that through wisdom. We do it through the study of Scripture. We do it through times of prayer. Um, if and when we are tempted to respond with heat and not light, then guess what? We need to go back and spend some time at the foot of the cross, meditating right there until we, say, until we can say to ourselves, you know what, I can, I can rise from here and I can now go and be um, a humble, um, honest good representation of Christ in the world. All right, next up, Justin Gibney from the AND campaign. He and I are going to talk about an anniversary that recently passed that my guess is many of us missed. We're also going to talk about uh, the trial of Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 
Joining me now, Justin Gibney. You can find him at and campaign, A-N-D, andcampaign.org. And campaign's mission is to educate and organize Christians for civic and cultural engagement. Justin is uh, an attorney, lives in the greater Atlanta area. Justin, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Thanks for having me. So, absolutely. I, I love to talk with you. Um, I'm, I'm a little jealous of, of people who have you on and get to have you on over extended periods of time in conversation with others. And so um, I'll just admit that Daniel Bennett uh, lining you up with uh, uh, with others on his podcast, I, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and admit I'm a little jealous. It's okay, though. I'll get over <laughs> it. I'll get over it. I'll work my I'll work through it. Talk with me about anniversaries that are marked by some and missed by others. I'm thinking of the anniversary that... Last year, you know, lots of people marked um, at a bridge in Selma, Alabama, and most people missed this year. I'm thinking about um, the first anniversary of Ahmaud Arbery's uh, murder. Talk with me about, particularly from your perspective, you know, anniversaries that get marked by some but missed by others. That's a, that's a really good question. I mean, first we have to think about what an anniversary is and what it does, right? It's it's a it's a impactful moment that we want to remember for a certain reason. And I think some people miss certain anniversaries because they don't want to remember uh, or they want to reject the narrative that comes along with it or whatever is being remembered doesn't fit their narrative. And so we pick and choose uh, what which anniversaries we will uh, acknowledge and will um, you know, kind of stand in silence and, and observe uh, a lot of times based on our narratives and ba- based on what we want uh, to be remembered. Um, and so I think we need to be willing to remember those things that that don't uh, tickle our ear, that don't uh, make us feel great about, you know, some of the things that we may have represented. Uh, and especially for Christians, we don't just remember that, you know, this is a matter of truth, right? We don't just remember that which makes us feel good. We remember that we remember those things that correct us and challenge us as well. You know, as you're saying that, it occurs to me, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about remembering. Um, and then, you know, certainly in the culture, we have some never forget moments and, and anniversaries that we mark. Um when we think about remembering, I'm, I'm often reminded that it is about becoming a member of something again. It is about going back and um, reattaching my own experience to the experience that was lived by others in a different time and place. And so I become a member of that again. Um, when you think about civil rights, when you think about racial injustice or racial division, I don't even know the language I'm supposed to be using anymore. Um, the racial angst that we experience in our culture today. If you could take everyone to a particular time and place, is there a never forget, let's go back and remember, become members again of an event in time that you think would be helpful? Man, there's a lot of them. Uh, One that I've been focusing on a lot lately is Reconstruction, Uh, the Reconstruction era, which is just after the Civil War when uh, a country that was divided for good reason. Uh, they were trying to bring it back together and also trying to make sure that uh, newly uh, freed uh, slaves could transition into freedom. And, you know, that idea of Reconstruction was a good one. Uh, it started off with, with good intentions, but unfortunately it was is full of half half measures as well. And I think one thing that looking at Reconstruction, that era as a whole can teach us is that it's, it's a perfect example of what happens when we try to reconcile without 
uh, repentance. It's a perfect, mm-hmm. perfect example of when we try to reconcile without truly reckoning with what happened. Because what happens in Reconstruction to, to African Americans is that they get a a, a small peak at uh, enfranchisement, a small peak at some level of agency, and then it's all taken away because uh, we really just didn't have the stomach as a country to go through with it. And I think there's a, a, a major lesson in that. There, yeah, there are some things that happened, you know, a, across the country and in particular communities that, you know, I. I'll just acknowledge I have, you know, become aware of recently through listening to podcasts or whatever, reading, reading histories that I'd never heard told before. Um, and I mean, it'll leave you slack jawed. I mean, it, it, it'll, it'll drive you to your knees, um, recognizing what has happened in the history of this country to people whose skin is darker than mine. Um, it, it is real. It is deep. It is brutal. Um, and, and it's important for us to remember to become members of it again. Um, and that's where I have found, Justin, that, you know, I, you know, I was not there. My family didn't own slaves like those that language. I can actually say, you know what, I can revisit that point in time and I can really easily see where I would have stood. I can. It's much the same way of, of reading scripture and standing, you know, standing, uh, uh, you know, Jesus is is up there, and so is Barabbas. And am I in the crowd saying, "Crucify him, crucify him"? Or am I, you know, do I have the boldness and courage to, like, apparently no one, no one did, no one rushed forward and said, "No, no, 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 Let, let's not be these people. Don't do this." And so I, you know, I, in remembering and becoming a member of an event again. I think we have to ask ourselves, not where do I stand now, not not in this day and time, but at that point in time, would I have had the courage of the convictions I have today? And I think in most cases, the answer is no. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the easy thing to do, and I appreciate your honesty, I think the easy thing to do is look at those stories, look at that history and say, you know what, I know I would be on the right side. But then if we look at, you know, some of the things we've done today and some of the things that we've missed, we shouldn't be so sure. Um, And I think that's one of the major lessons we can learn from that is that it is hard. Sometimes it means going against the crowd. And if that's not something you do today, (laughs) what's to tell us that we would do it then? Um, And and so I think that's a a wonderful thought that that people should really focus in on. It's very easy to see yourself as the person who did the right thing. But but that's not often the case. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to talk about a, a, a contemporary Uh, issue we're facing right now as a nation. So uh, Justin and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the trial of Derek Chauvin now on pause. Jury selection was supposed to begin yesterday. He has been charged with murder in the death of George Floyd. Um, We're going to talk about that up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney, you can find him at andcampaign.org. Justin, let's talk a little bit about what is going on in Minneapolis. Uh, the case seems like a simple one, but, you know, all of a sudden we had this big lead up and then, nothing, I don't know, nothing happened. I don't know how to say what happened yesterday didn't happen. Just talk with us from your perspective about, you know, what's going on in this uh, in this case. 
Sure. Uh, so before a trial starts, uh, you will see the judge and the attorneys dealing with uh, what they call issues of law. Right. So issues that deal with what law should be applied uh, in a certain trial. Um, now, keep in mind that when the trial starts, the jury deals with issues of fact. But some of these issues of law uh, have held up the trial, um, particularly reinstating um, uh, a third degree murder charge. And so that's gone to an appeals court, come back down to the trial court. And they're trying to figure those things out. I mean, these things, you know, the issues of law are just as important as the issues of fact, because that, you know, you're going to apply the facts to what laws are applicable in that uh, particular instance. And so what we have here is a delay to deal with the law before you get to actually the jury de dealing with the facts. Okay. So um, there's just a lot of people who are going to say this whole thing seems so simple. Um, you know, we saw the video. Uh, we know what was said. We know what was done. Um, it doesn't always work out uh, in a court of law in the way that we might imagine. Talk about how integral uh, a part of this, the jury selection is, in terms of um, maybe how confident uh, the the public will uh, will be in terms of the credibility of a verdict. Like I think it mat. I think the racial makeup of this jury matters. I think the makeup matters. I mean, you want an impartial jury. Uh, and so you, you want to get rid of people only on the basis that they may have a reason to be partial. Uh, I think Christians have to be very careful when we say how easy something is. These things matter. We, we, we don't just want someone to get punished. We want somebody to get punished, if that's the case, if they're guilty, uh, with proportionality. Uh, so even if you think it's clear that this because it's on video that this person should be uh, uh, prosecuted, that doesn't ex exactly tell us, you know, pursuant to what law or how mm -hmm. long. And so I think we we do have to slow down and understand there are some complexities to this. Now, this isn't a miscarriage of justice simply because they're trying to get the law right and they're trying to make sure that they pick the correct jury. We want all those things to be in place, even if it takes a little bit longer. So I push against the idea that, you know, these things should happen immediately. No, um, sometimes the, the wheels of justice turn slow and we just have to pray that justice be done. We have to be very careful about getting into uh, uh, you know, just wanting somebody to, to be taken care of and not caring if it's, you know, the longer, the better kind of idea. No, we need to make sure that justice is done and um, just pray that the jury, you know, follows the facts and the law the way they should. I feel like this is a, um, you know, this is a this is a trial that has uh, that's carrying a heavy burden. It's carrying um, a, a burden of 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 the 2020 summer. It's carrying the burden of the Black Lives Matter movement. It's carrying the burden of the U.S. justice system to produce a verdict that's going to be universally seen as fair. That's just that just it, it seems like an awfully big burden for one trial to to carry. And I recognize that um, that's going to be a challenge for people to process. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what the political consequences of what's going on? Yeah, I mean, we we first have to keep in mind that every issue of justice matters. It's all significant, right? So we always want justice to be done. No, we shouldn't, you know, load on, you know, every other, you know, every other issue onto this one case. But we do want to make sure that justice is done and that we take this seriously. As far as the political consequences, I mean, look, this country has a history, right? It has a history of, unfortunately, partiality of uh, not, you know, being proportionate in how it uh, punishes people. 
And all that stuff comes into play, you know, when a decision like this moves forward. So I think depending on the verdict, it could, you know, it could spark that um, the kind of outcry that we saw last year, or it can kind of ease some of the things that, that, that people have been feeling. But, but I would say this, regardless of what the outcome might be politically, the jury should not be impacted by that. The judge should not be impacted by that. They need to do what they're supposed to do and let the fallout be what it may, but that's not their responsibility to be worried about the political or social fallout. So uh, I, for one, am going to be praying for all the people uh, who you just to whom you just referred. I mean, everybody involved in this. There's just so much scrutiny. There's an awfully bright light um, on all of it. Um, talk with us uh, uh, about what else you're paying attention to right now across the country, maybe what you're watching in Washington. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things that just happened, obviously, is this uh, um, American Rescue Act, uh, which is in response to the COVID crisis. This is a $1.9 trillion bill. Uh, I think, you know, it's supposed to cut um, child poverty in half. And so that's good. Obviously, it cuts it in half only temporarily because this these are only, you know, most of this is only going to last for about a year. Uh, and then we also so I think, you know, a lot of this is necessary, but we also have do have to keep an eye on things like inflation. Uh, so we, we you know, we can say, hey, this was necessary. And we can also understand that it may not come without consequences. And we need to be preparing for that and understand that some of the fixes in this are temporary. Uh, so, you know, this isn't the end all be all, but we need to be be paying very close attention to it. Yeah, that's helpful. That's helpful. Justin, as always, um, it's great to catch up with you. It's a real joy. Thank you for uh, your work at the AND Campaign. want to direct people to the AND Campaign's website, andcampaign.org. Thank you so much. All right. Take care now. You too. All right. That's Justin Gibney. we got to take a break for Breakpoint. We'll be right back. All right, a number of you have uh, texted in asking about uh, David Aikman. David Aikman uh, has been for a long time featured on Mondays on our show. We talk about international headlines. I think I will phrase it this way. Um, David has retired. He is in his 80s. He lives in an assisted living facility. Um, it was getting increasingly difficult to make good contact with him. We happen to be during the lunch hour. Um, not everybody's as flexible as others in terms of wor- uh, workarounds. And so um, pray for him. He is well. It is well with his soul. Uh, but we are now talking with others about what is happening in international headlines uh, around the world, you hear Luke Moon from time to time, and now you also hear Mindy Bells from World Magazine. And so Mindy is joining us next to talk about a number of headlines from around the world. We're going to focus in um, on uh, on Iraq and Iran uh, starting off, and then we are going to make uh, a visit at least to Portugal. We may We may visit some other sites around the globe as well. We'll be right back. This is Max Licato. You wonder why God doesn't remove temptation from your life. You know, if he did, you might lean on your strength instead of his grace. A few stumbles might be what you need to convince you his grace is sufficient for your sin. You wonder why God doesn't remove the enemies in your life. Perhaps he 
wants you to love like he loves. Anyone can love a friend, but only a few can love an enemy. You wonder why God doesn't heal you? Oh, he has healed you. If you are in Christ, you have a perfected soul and will have a perfected body. His grace is sufficient for gratitude. We can be sure of this. God would prefer we have an occasional limp than a perpetual strut. God has every right to say no to us. We have every reason to say thanks to Him. His grace is sufficient. This is Max Lucado. Bells from World Magazine. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter, MC Bells, B E L Z. You can find her at world.org. Hey, welcome so much, Mindy. Welcome back. Oh, do we have her? Mindy? That's all right. We um we can't hear her right now. I'm hoping she can hear us. Let me tell you a little bit about Mindy in case you don't know. She actually wrote World Magazine's very first cover story in 1986. She went on to serve as international editor, editor, and now senior editor. For those of you who appreciate what World Magazine does, um, you know Mindy very well. She has covered wars in Syria, Afghanistan, Africa, and the Balkans. Um, her book, they Say We Are Infidels, On the Run from ISIS with Persecuted Christians in the Middle East, which came out in, I think, 2016 or 2017, is just excellent. It's just excellent. She uh, she lives in North Carolina. And again, you can follow her on Twitter at MCBells, B-E-L-Z. Mindy, do I have you now? <laughs> All right, we're switching uh, technologies here. All right, let me um, Let me do a couple of international headlines with you that Actually, Mindy and I are not scheduled to cover. One is out of China. So the Chinese government's alleged actions in the Zhejiang province, um, which we recognize are genocide. Uh, In the United States, we have um, elevated the international dialogue related to the situation under the Trump administration by using the word genocide, acknowledging that China is intentionally seeking to destroy the Uyghur people. Um, well, the United Nations is uh, is now uh, stepping up and taking note. So uh, the the Chinese government's actions related to the Uyghur people have, quote, violated every single provision in the United Nations Genocide Convention. That is according to an independent report by more than 50 global experts on human rights, war crimes and international law. So this is actually the first independent report into genocide allegations in the region. Um, where something like 2 million Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities are uh, in sprawling detention camps, re-education camps, children separated from their parents, on and on and on. So let's be continuing to apply the full force of our prayers and, uh, and activism for the liberation of these people. In Afghanistan, uh, a letter to Afghan President um, uh, Ashraf Ghani uh, from Secretary of State Tony Blinken here in the United States, has proposed a United Nations-led effort to actually broker peace in Afghanistan that would make clear that the United States is still considering a full withdrawal of its armed forces by May the 1st. And so let's be praying um, on that front as well for a peaceable transition in that country. All right, just checking. Do uh, Do we have Mindy? You are awesome. All right. So uh, we we're going to continue um, 
just surveying headlines until we have Mindy with us. Um, The Pope has visited uh, Iraq recently. We have talked about that briefly here on air. I'm really excited to talk with Mindy about it because she has actually walked with Christians um, in this part of the world. And I think that her perspective, unique perspective on the Pope's recent visit to the region where many Christians have felt, you know, quite forsaken, um, will will just be really poignant. Um, for those of you who who know um, our frequent conversations with uh, friends from the Philos Project, you know that this part of the world, what we call the Nineveh Plain, is really the cradle of Christianity. It's really um, the the place where we think of when we think of the Old Testament stories. And so when we talk about the the cradle of Abrahamic faith, that's the region of the world that we're talking about when we turn our attention to uh, northern Iraq. And so the conversations about Christians in this region are not monolithic. It's not, uh, I mean, for the, po- for the Pope to visit um, is really uh, is really extraordinary. All right, Mindy Bells, welcome uh, to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Um, all right, so let's talk about the Pope's visit to Iraq. Um, I know that this is a part of the world that has uh, a, a deep place in your heart. Um, talk with us about your observations related to the Pope's visit. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was extraordinary just that it happened. I was hearing from people in Iraq up until really 48 hours before he touched down that it might not happen. Many people thought uh, due to coronavirus, due to security issues, you had these missiles being lobbed in American air bases. There were a number of reasons that this trip shouldn't have happened, but it did. And it was an incredible pageant of um of him being able to reach all sectors of the country. You think about how divided the country has been over the past few years, that he was able to be in the city of Mosul and to hold mass there. He was able to be in the Kurdish region, which is where most of the Christians in Iraq have relocated. And extraordinary um, ceremonies there, masses and and services there, uh, both in a cathedral and in a stadium, a stadium that's dedicated to one of the Uh, most revered Kurdish leaders in the region. And then he was in Baghdad. And then he went to Najaf, to the heart of um, Shia Iraq, and met with the Grand Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani. And that was an incredible moment, too, seeing these two old men who are both leaders of their religions uh, sitting down together in this tiny, he walked through these narrow streets, just poignant pictures of the 84-year-old pope walking through the narrow streets of Najaf to reach the Grand Ayatollah. And uh, I think, I think Carmen, what's significant for us to take away is, is just to realize that the Pope is both a religious leader and a political leader. And he was striking notes on all those fronts. He was, he was wanting to encourage and edify and unify the Christians in Iraq and bolster their standing in a country where they just all but been um, annihilated and forced out. And he also wanted to send a signal to the political leaders that these are people the world cares about. And, um, and, and hopefully that message has gotten through because, frankly, we haven't seen any, um, any real policy changes in the years since ISIS was defeated in Iraq that have encouraged and helped the Christians. 
Yeah, you also note that the Pope, um, you know, although he does not represent all Iraqi Christians, you know, I will say that as a Christian, I can recognize the symbolic importance, more than symbolic, but certainly the symbolic importance of his visit to uh, Christians who have felt in many ways forsaken. Absolutely. I I do think that there has been this sort of, I would call it a quiet resentment when, when the Christians had to come together when ISIS was forcing them out of their towns and villages There was incredible cooperation among the Orthodox, Evangelical, and Catholic churches, and and that has fractured somewhat over these ensuing years because the Catholic Church has—to the world, the Catholic Church in Iraq, which is the Chaldean Church, has come to represent um, Christians to the world. And and so it is important for us, especially those of us who, you know, identify with these evangelical churches. And I will say, evangelical churches in Iraq are the churches where the Muslim converts and the Kurdish converts are coming. And those churches are really growing. And so we don't want to lose sight of that dimension to Christianity in Iraq. It's something that I think um, should be really dear to our hearts and something that we want to also see included in this conversation. Absolutely. Um, Again, let me uh, encourage you guys, if you have not read it already, Mindy's excellent book, They Say We Are Infidels, On the Run with Persecuted Christians in the Middle East, is going to give you, um, you know, a little bit of historic context uh, in terms of what is happening here. She spent I don't know, something like a dozen years in the Middle East, right? And th- these are just incredible stories, um, incredible firsthand accounts of our brothers and sisters in Christ um, in, in that part of the world. Hey, we've got to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Mindy Bells. We're going to talk about um, a, a very recent article that she has posted right now at World Magazine, and it's entitled Crying in Every Home. Uh, I'm going to find out what's happening to our brothers and sisters around the world, um, you know, because there's just a lot happening in the midst of the pandemic that's created a shadow where, frankly, evildoers are operating with impunity. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Mindy Bells from World Magazine. Mindy, let's talk about your latest piece that's posted right now, um, Crying in Every Home. Just tell people this story. Yeah, um, we got word starting in December that there had been an incredible massacre, almost too much to believe, with 800 people killed at a church in Ethiopia. And um, this is in the embattled region of Tigray. We've heard, you know, just edges of the conflict there where this internal conflict in Ethiopia broke out between the Tigray forces and regional forces and the national forces. National forces called in Eritrean army, which uh, at the border, which is really a very strange thing to do. Ethiopia has been in constant battles with Eritrea. Eritrea is a mostly Muslim country um, that has really just so harshly persecuted its Christian believers. And Tigray is this heartland of Christianity in Ethiopia. So all that is a quick summary of why this was sort of a tragedy waiting to happen. 
And and that's where the pandemic enters, because um, due to the coronavirus and restrictions on travel, restrictions on access, no reporters, no outsiders have been able to get into the Tigray region to provide aid, to provide any of the things that we normally expect in these kinds of crisis situation. And so it wasn't until late January that we got any kind of confirmation. And this seems incredible to us, Carmen, in the information age that we live in, that it took weeks upon weeks upon weeks for reporters to confirm what had happened there. And I, I my hat is off to my uh, colleagues at the Associated Press because they simply kept calling. I mean, the internet was down, phone services were out. This is something we have seen repeated throughout the pandemic. And, and it's just like a new phenomenon that regions are closed down because of um, pandemic protocols. And then a government that wants to, you know, halt for whatever reason, communication also takes down um, uh, satellite services, internet, that kind of thing. And so our colleagues at the Associated Press reached church leaders in the Tigray region and, and that's where we come to this moment where this church leader describes massacre that took place, and it was centered in one of the great oldest historic churches in Ethiopia, the Church of St. Mary of Zion in Aksum, uh, a city in the Tigray region. And he described how the Eritrean soldiers entered the city, and there began this bloodbath of them pulling people out of the church who were taking shelter there out of homes and and killing them in the street. And he said on every corner, there was a body. People were crying in every home. And this went on for weeks as there was no one to help them. And this church deacon literally was, was helping other people in the church go body to body, retrieve identity uh, cards to identify who these people were. They couldn't couldn't visibly identify them. Their bodies were so mutilated and then proceed to bury them. Um, but, but it was an, a total of 799, 800 people who were mm. killed. It's just heartbreaking. Um, Mindy's article goes on to describe what is happening in, in other countries as well. Um, not just in 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 the Tigray region of Ethiopia, but also in Algeria, in India, um, in Afghanistan, in Turkey. I, I just I commend this to you, um, Azerbaijan. I mean, just on and on and on. Um, there are things happening to our brothers and sisters around the world uh, in the shadow of the pandemic, which has created enough darkness for evildoers to operate with impunity. And so, let me just encourage you to be praying today um, and to read, to to become aware, to know what is happening um, in order that we might be able to to respond uh, in ways that we can. I want to talk with you, Mindy, um, also about uh, your colleague Leah Hickman has a piece posted um, about what's going on in Portugal and the question of death. And the reason that I want to talk about this is, you know, Portugal's uh, dying problem, as it's described here, um, is, you know, like what, one page further in the book in terms of where America uh, goes next? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that what we see there, it, you know, there are only five countries in the world that have legalized euthanasia. When you think about our 
progressive cult, this progressive era that we're living in where everything is acceptable, you would think that euthanasia as, as a legally uh, legal instrument would be much more broader at this point. But it still is like the bridge that most countries, even most really liberal Western countries cannot cross. And, and they're all small countries. It's, it's the Netherlands, Belgium, um, and uh, Canada would be the largest. And, and then now you have Portugal considering this bill. And it's interesting that the president, rather than signing it, has kicked it up to the constitutional court, which by law he can do in Portugal. He's basically asking for a ruling on whether it is it should move forward. And, and hopefully it won't. But I think what's underlying all this is a culture of despair. And one of the people that, that Leah Hickman interviewed said it so well. He said, we are a poor country with a national health system that doesn't work so well. People die badly in Portugal. So in ca some cases, they die with a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and so on. And so it becomes like a form of treatment. He's talking about how there's confusion about how we view this. And if you think about viewing it, through a grid that is other than our bodies made in the image of God and life being a gift of God, then uh, you, you see how this despair can take root and people see loved ones who are not well treated in poor healthcare situations. And they think, well, it would be much better if they could just die. And that's why I, I, I call it a culture of despair. And I do think, as you say, that there are real... Um, echoes of what we see in our own country, what we have seen through this pandemic where COVID has, has raged in the United States and we've thought of ourselves as having one of the best healthcare systems in the world. And we've, we've seen the, the gaps, we've seen the, the, the ways in which we have not uh, been able to preserve life throughout this, this crisis. And, and you begin to see that, that with a broken healthcare system, you can begin to contemplate death being a preferred option. And I, I think that Christians have a real place to speak into this moment, into this despair, and to remind our, our, our neighbors and our political leaders that, um, that, it, that we do have this gift of life and we need to do all we can to preserve it and not to end it. Yeah, let me remind everybody that um, Johnny Erickson Tata has great work on this topic. If you haven't checked out uh, what's going on at Johnny and Friends lately, they are uh, totally on the forefront of this conversation here in the United States. Um, Mindy, as always, thank you so much. I wanted to I want to read to everybody the quote from Antonio Torres in the in the lead paragraph of this article by Leah Hickman that's posted um, at World Magazine. The article is Portugal's dying problem, and here's the quote. He's sitting next to his 90-year-old mother um, who has not spoken. Uh, she's Alzheimer's. She's bedridden. She hasn't spoken to him in three years. I, here's what he says. I never have a doubt that the person was a person. It's my mother. The fact that she could not speak to me, the fact that she was not autonomous, the fact that she was not, quote, useful, she was not less human. I love that guy. I love him. I love his heart. And um, and we need to be cultivating that worldview um, mm -hmm. here again today. So, Mindy, as always, thank you for the extraordinary work that you do at World Magazine. And thank you for joining us uh, on Mornings with Carmen. Happy to be with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Pass our gratitude along to Leah for this article as well. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks.
All right, we've got to take one more brief break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All righty. We have done it. There you go. It's such a joy to spend some time with you each and every day. Thank you for those of you who text in during the show and just, you know, have a little rolling commentary. I really appreciate it. Um, remember to visit MyFaithRadio.com, grab today's podcast, share it with someone else. We would love for you to serve in that way as a, a you know, as a missionary of this ministry. Uh, this is listener-supported Faith Radio, and uh, we count on listeners like you to not only support us prayerfully and financially, but also to be the people who spread the word about what God is doing in and through the Faith Radio Network. So go ahead and uh, go to the website, grab something, and share it with somebody else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.